Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you on this day to thank you first and foremostly for your mercy and your grace that has allowed us to come here today and worship you when you accept our worship for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, and his perfect sacrifice, Lord. Now, we pray that you might be blessing our time together, that we might learn and grow in our sanctification. Bless the Sunday school teachers as they teach our children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. All right, so last, last week, Last week, we were going over the confidence that the Christian should and is called to have in the midst of its call to war with the world and itself, right? We have spent ample time using the Shire illustration to say, you know, how the world is, has a growing evil that needs to be submitted by the virtue of Jesus Christ's resurrection. And he will submit all his enemies, but he'll do it through his church, right? And how the Shire presented that image of enjoying the spoils of all the past sacrifices that created this safe space, right? Uh, And now we have to go back. Now we have to go battle. And we, we were looking at how we suffer from anxiety because of our lack of battle. And the antidote to that was the confidence that we should have in the word of God, right? How... Lewis is laying out that it's not a matter of science versus religion, right? It's not a matter uh, of faith versus non-faith because God has revealed, has condescended from eternity, right? And has laid out the ceiling upon which humanity is to understand his limits. And God has condescended and has revealed the grounding upon which humanity is going to exist. The why question is answered ultimately in how God has created man in his own image. And apart from that, he has also come into creation. And he has shown us exactly what it means to live life according to God's law. He is God's law incarnate. Jesus Christ, right? So he has condescended. He has provided the grounding. He has he is building his spiritual house, right? So all of this is to say that humanity cannot avoid but build. Lewis laid out last week, he will worship. All of you will worship. It's not a matter of science or religion. It's which God will be worshipped. Upon what ground is the house going to be built? So our confidence, going back to that, is saying it's okay. Everybody's doing the same thing. Everybody is seeking to worship. Everybody's seeking to build by virtue of being made in the image of God. Right? So the Christian is to feel secured, right? And keep their feet in the fact that God has provided all of these things. Right. Not only that, he he walks into creation and shows us how to build And our building is behind his. And it is only acceptable and worthy because Christ has built perfectly. But we are called to build. Right. So now. In this letter, we are going back to this house. Right. And the world is saying, show me how to build. Christ has built perfectly. And we are looking to the culture and the world and say, this is the perfect house. So Christ is saying, build as I build. 
And we look to the world and say, look at what we have built, right? Look at what we're building for the sake of Christ. And this is the only thing that's sustainable, that is perfect, that is life-giving by virtue of the resurrection. This house built on rock that cannot be destroyed by the resurrection and Jesus Christ's kingship. So now, are we confident every day? We have all the reason to be confident. We have the grounding, the ceiling, the stewardship, the house. And whatever I build is acceptable and worth by Jesus Christ. And the will to build is only by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Everything is covered. Yet why is our confidence wavering? Why do Christians go through seasons? Why? If our confidence is secure in Jesus Christ, why do we go through seasons of despair? Why do we go through seasons of great joy and then despair? And going like back and forth, back and forth, right? Why? Well, and that's a question that many of the Christians ask of themselves. Because why is, if, if God has given me all the tools, why do I want to walk behind my Savior? Well, because our soul is in a state of unrest, right? That quote from St. Augustine, our, our souls are in a continual unrest until it finds its, its rest in Jesus Christ. But although that we are experiencing now the expansion of the kingdom, the final rest in Jesus as he has seated upon high, but there's still, what happens? There's still sin. There's still a sinful nature that we have to battle with. That we have to war with. So although I can find my rest, my rest in Jesus Christ, it is still something that I'm kind of hobbling at. And every day that I wake up, sometimes, yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to obey and I want to work out God's commands. And sometimes I do not. Right? So in that state of unrest, it's a perfect image of what Lewis is trying to lay out here in the micro. So last week, going over there, we read how Lewis was mocking the atheistic worldview with the hopes of subtly encouraging the Christians to see his faith and way of life as something that is inevitable. Just like sacrifice, his faith is embedded in the human experience expressed in the form of worship. It's not a faith versus science type of scenario that many Christians fear. It's really a, are you going to worship the true God or a made up God? Because man was made to worship. He is made to be a builder, a protector, and a steward of God's house. But by sin, he does all these things wrongly. Keep going, George. In this letter, Lewis moves the theme from the supreme confidence that Christians should have to the reality that we do not always possess it. Lewis presents the reality of seasons in the Christian life. Lewis argues... For some fundamental things like our inhabiting of time and space as the main reason or justification of the seasons. But I would add that being in time and space does not necessarily give grounds to these things. It is our sin that causes our state of unrest and fluctuation in regard to our relationship with God and with man. Furthermore, the letter presents presents to us how the enemy uses the seasons for their benefit. Don't skip. All right. So. 
this state of unrest is because of our sin. And sometimes we want to obey, but sometimes we do not want to obey. Right? Now, I do believe that God does give us a way forward within our seasons. He gives us the why. God is constantly in interaction with us. How? How is God actively speaking to us right now? He is speaking to us to the means of grace, the church, and also his providence. God is always speaking to you and telling you in the midst of your seasons why exactly you are there. Are your sacrifices going along what Jesus Christ has laid out in his spiritual building of the house? Are you walking behind your Savior? And Jesus gives us three key texts, in my opinion, that we should always ask ourselves, no matter what season you're in, as to guard your heart from going a little to the left, a little too much to the right, in our state of unrest. And those two extremes can be despair. Joy can be tyranny or complacency. In, in history, we have to, right, in our sanctification, we have to guard ourselves from this. It's like walking a tightrope. Sometimes we have to turn up a little bit more of our sacrifices that require more obedience to God's law. Sometimes we have to be careful to see where our hearts truly lie. So it's a balancing act until Jesus Christ comes and, de- and deals the final blow to death and sin. But there's a shoring up as history goes forth. There's, we get better and better by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So God is actively involved. These seasons aren't purposeless. They're not random. In general respects, you can look at your life. You can look at providence. You can hear the reading of the scriptures and the preaching of the word and say, what's going on? What is God actively saying? Right? Keep going, George. And that's why I'm titling this The Reason for the Seasons, right? As Christians, or many new Christians, come and after their conversion, they're asking, what is the will of God for my life? Right? That's a popular question in our culture, our Christian culture. And oftentimes, we're scrambling for answers. And I believe that Jesus Christ has laid out in no particular order, we can kind of think of that later. But I'm going to lay out three key texts. And one of them is this one in Matthew chapter 16, which lays out the foundation of what I think has been the fundamentals of this book. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and be, and be following me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying, you want to know what the will of God it is for your life? You want to know the reason for the seasons in your life? Ask yourself the question, are you denying yourself? Are you dying on the cross? Are you sacrificing in all the ways that you do not want to? Right? If you want to know, it's like, God, I want to serve you. I want to, I want to know what the will of God, what your will is for my life. Look in all the places you don't want to look. Look in all the places you don't want to look. Because that's where Jesus is speaking. Deny yourself. You want to follow me? Don't indulge yourself. Don't indulge yourself in what? What, are, what has been the sacrifices of the West? Comfort? What else? Safety, 
I just want to be safe. I just want to be healthy at all times, at every moment of the day. Right? I just, I want to be at peace. Is that in accordance with Matthew 16? That's the question. Deny yourself. Keep going. The second one, second question, or the second reason, Matthew chapter 6. Do not be treasuring up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and eating destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But be treasuring up treasures for yourself in heaven where neither moth nor eating destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Are you denying yourself? Where are you storing your treasures? Everyone stores treasures. Where are the sacrifices of your time, your gifts, your vocation, your life desires? Where are you storing them? Are you denying yourself? And where are you storing them? Do you want stuff? Is that your life's goal? Is that your treasure? Stuff? Like I said, comfort, safety, at all times. Hmm. Keep going, George. And thirdly, Matthew chapter 6. But be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is the trouble of it. Are you denying yourself? Where are you storing treasures? Are you seeking the kingdom first and foremostly? These three things can help you gauge why you're in the season that you're in. You can examine your life. God is speaking actively through providence, through his word, through the church. He is always with you. He is with us to the end of the age. This pivotal moment in in Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus Christ has been given all of authority. Right? There's, there's a pivot. There's a change in history where Jesus is king. He is seated upon high. And, and in that change and in that conquering and in that dominion, he's saying, ask yourself these things and you will know. You will have an idea. You will have a compass for the way forward. Why are we in the season that we are currently in? Are we in in an extreme of tyranny? Maybe. Maybe both tyranny and complacency. Why? I find it interesting that a 99% survival rate type of virus is thrown. This virus has revealed where our heart is, both the church and in the culture. Where is our heart? Where is their heart? Where is it? Safety. At all costs. Where is our heart? When Jesus asks these questions. And it feels like God has set up the domino table. And he's just going, beep. Hitting that domino. And all the dominoes have fallen. One behind the other. One behind the other. What are we to do now? 
ask ourselves these questions, to take up the mantle that Christ has charged his church to do. Keep going. All right, so the demonic arena that we are currently in in this letter is use the seasons of trials and despair for their advantage. Keep going. All right, first quote. Now, it may surprise you to learn that in his efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, he relies on the troughs or the trials even more than the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. The reason is this. To us, the human is primarily food or our aim is the absorption of its will into ours, the increase of our own area of selfhood at its expense. But the obedience which the enemy demands of men is quite a different thing. One must face the fact that all the talk about his love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not mere propaganda, but an appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself, not because he absorbs them, but because their wills freely conform to his. So the first thing, keep going. God is actively speaking to us through his providence and is actively judging our sacrifices through it. God is speaking and he is honoring or not accepting anything that you are sacrificing currently. Remember, going back to the three questions that Jesus lays out. Are you denying yourself? Where are you storing up treasures? Are you seeking the kingdom? By virtue of the resurrection, these questions must be answered and God is speaking in the lines of those questions, are you? And he's judging us by it constantly, daily. And now we live in the midst of a culture that in their belly, right? In their belly is a total denial of God's order. A total denial of God's order. Flattening of hierarchies and authorities. That all disparity is injustice. That all of the systems need to be Tear down. Because virtue is too hard. I want easy. Isn't that? Can that be more satanic? That cannot be more satanic. Satan wants all the spoils without the virtue of the character needed. Right? So now God is saying, look, what's going on? And the culture is looking to us, the church. Like I said at the beginning. Jesus is building the house and the church builds the house after Jesus. And the culture is looking to the mountain to see what kind of house we're building. And the culture is saying, I got all these desires in my belly that contradict everything that you live for. And they're challenging us in God's providence. Your once a week Christianity is not enough. Your one hour worship not enough. You've got to show me something of substance to contradict this nature in me that is satanic, that does not want virtue. It wants its spoils. Show me. Show me. Keep going, George. A season of difficulty is God's judgment and mercy on his flock, both. It usually means there are some bad sacrifices that need to be addressed and repented of, or it could point to a testing of the placement of the heart, the older brother in the parable of, two, of the two sons. So the season of difficulty that we're in is God speaking and saying, hmm, we got to tighten up, we got to shore some, some things up, right? 
And in the middle of that, he's saying, the consequences of your laziness. The consequences of your laziness. You are going to suffer them. But it is in itself a mercy. Because through the difficulty, he's revealing what exactly needs to be shored up. He's pointing at it and saying, this is not enough. And you know what? He's the captain of the ship. He is the builder of this house. I am not the owner. And if God wants to tear this house down and rebuild it again on the rock, he will. That's the challenge that we're in. And Providence is speaking clearly about it. We need to show more. We need to actually live out what we believe in theory. We need to be good fathers. We need to be good mothers. We need to be good, good husbands, good wives. It starts in the home and it'll replicate, right? Into the church, into the communion of the saints, into the time spent in the fellowship. The house will be built rightly, right? Okay, keep going. A season of trials produces a stronger Christ-like character, or the seeds of faith will wither and die. That's another way that it's a mercy. Because you will know where you are. Where you truly are. Beyond what you say that you are. The trials will reveal where your feet are truly planted on. Right? Keep going. The kingdom of evil is a plastic imitation of the kingdom of heaven. Because both seek to dominion. But instead of virtuous character, it's debauchery and unmerited gains. Instead of free obedience and submission, it is always forceful and oppressive. That's what Lewis laid out in the quote. The demons always look to just eat people, right? Just absorb their will, absorb their personhood, make them zombies for the kingdom of evil. Because that's the way it propagates. But it's always looking to propagate. It's always looking to dominate. But it's only doing it in a cheap version of the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven doesn't look to absorb. It looks to what? To submit by character. By Jesus Christ. By looking to him and saying. I willingly want to come. Because there is no life outside Christ. It's Christ or nothing. And it's Christ for all of life. It needs to be Christ for all of life. And if it is not Christ for all of life. And we're in a corner. In an echo chamber. Looks like Providence is saying, we got to cut this down. We need to rebuild. Keep going. Now, there are some theological caveats that I had to make clear here because Lewis's contrast image of what the kingdom of evil does, which is absorb or make zombies, his image of what God does is a little uh, out of sorts with our confession. Keep going. It's worth noting that the next quote highlights our theological disagreement with Lewis regarding the bondage of the will. His view is not reformed. While we view the will enslaved to sin and unable to choose God without an effectual change in nature in order for us to freely choose him by that new nature. His view is more autonomous. Lewis would view our position as somewhat tyrannical. Keep going. Lewis' view of the will affects his view of the reason for the seasons because it provides the foundation for a God releases our hand to walk on our own type of illustration that he lays out. 
Keep going. Second quote. You must often wonder why the enemy does not make more use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls in any degree he chooses at any moment. Of course he's sensibly present. (laughs) I would disagree with Lewis here. He is constantly present, constantly speaking, constantly showing us this is not the way or this is the way. But you now see that the irresistible and the indisputable are two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use. That is false. The fact that God is effectual in his call. He actually does change our nature. He frees us to be able to choose him and submit to him willingly. Lewis is missing the enslaved image that the Bible produces, but oftentimes philosophers don't make the greatest theologians. So this is part of it. Okay. Merely to override a human would be for him useless. He cannot ravish. He can only woo. Eh. I'm a little, again, in disagreement with that. Because what he's trying to point out is this image of the kingdom of evil is to force. So therefore, God doesn't force. I'm like, God needs to free me from my sin. God needs to free me so I can freely choose him. That's something that our, you know, other theological positions don't, they fail to see. And that's what Lewis is, is failing to see here. So he can ravish. <laughs> he needs to ravish my nature. And then I can come willingly by that nature to him. Keep going. The creatures are to be one with them, but yet themselves, merely to cancel them or assimilate them will not serve. He is prepared to do a little overriding at the beginning. There you see, he's a little, you know, changing his position a bit. He will set them off with communications of his presence, which though faint, seem great to them with emotional sweetness and easy conquest over temptation. I don't know if any temptation is easy to conquer. But anyways, but he never allows the state of affairs to last long. Sooner or later, he withdraws. If not, in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives, he leaves the creatures to stand up on its own two legs to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. No, that is completely, uh, I would say, it's contrary to the witness of Scripture. God is always present. He never withdraws any type of activity with his sheep. In fact, he'll go and he'll save that one sheep. <laughs> God, Christ, by virtue of Christ, is always with us. He's always sustaining us. He is sustaining this road that we're walking on. He is sustaining and making the space. And by his sacrifice, we sacrifice after him constantly. And everything that we do is accepted by virtue of the resurrection and by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. What matters here is, are you sacrificing rightly? Because God is not withdrawn. He is actively judging you every day. He is present with you, speaking through your wife, your conscience, the church, where you need to go. It's a matter of listening, seeing there is no point in which we are left to walk on our own. Keep going. 
God does not abandon his sheep. His means of grace are always available for our benefit and our wills are free by the effectual grace of God and we do not lose our personhood in the midst of these things. That's Lewis' main concern is that the kingdom of evil absorbs personhood. The kingdom of heaven promotes it, right? But all of what we believe laid out in our confession does not rob us of that very personhood. It magnifies it in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep going. Setting aside our disagreements with Lewis, he is trying to communicate that God desires for our hearts to be willingly desirous of him, that we might be stewards and build the home behind how Christ has stewarded and built God's spiritual house in the midst of our seasons. God is actively talking to us through providence as to show us what needs to be shored up, eliminated, implemented. Sorry, that's my alarm. God is actively talking to us through providence as to show us what needs to be shored up, eliminated, or implemented to be more like Christ. Keep going, George. Closing thoughts. Our confidence in God grows as our sacrifices are built for the object of our faith in Jesus Christ. Due to sin and the state of our soul's unrest, we do not consistently sacrifice rightly. Therefore, we experience what we call the seasons in the Christian life. Times of great joy or times of great despair. But God is always present and speaking. He is always involved showing us the way to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ through the means of grace, the church, and providences as to guide us in the midst of those seasons. As Christians, all those resources are always available, and God never abandons his sheep. In fact, all of this is possible by the empowering and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and acceptable to God only by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So God is with you. God is with us. God is constantly letting us know, that's not working. We need to, we need to rebuild. He is never leaving us to walk on our own. God is constantly surrounding and grounding us. But it's a matter of asking that form of question. Are we sacrificing rightly? If I'm reading providence right, the culture is telling me it's wanting, it's desiring a counter-argument for their unbelief. Their unbelief encaptures all of life, every aspect of the human experience, including politics. It is a complete teardown of the current order. Are we going to present the counter faithful to the scriptures? Not halfly faithful or softly faithful, completely faithful to the, what the scriptures lay out as what the family is, what the church is, and lived out in honesty and with your entire heart. Because that is what they're asking for. Are we strong enough? Or are we getting strong enough? So the questions I'll just leave to you. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you have given us in Sunday school. We pray that you might grow us up in our salvation to con- continuously present an argument to the world that we're living in that is faithful to you, that is close as close as we can in this season to the image of Jesus Christ because the world is asking for it. It is hungry for it. It is desiring virtue. 
help us to show it by virtue of Jesus Christ. And because he has resurrected, because he is seated on high, we are now enabled to do these things. Accept us by that sacrifice. Now bless the time that we have together. In Christ's name we pray. Uh, Amen.